This is Waddle and Sylvie, live from the old National Bank State Street Studio. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. WMVP. WSHE. HD2 Chicago. A good Karma Brands radio station. Take a look at today's next-gen stats powered by AWS. Dak Prescott, a couple of interceptions today. Yeah, and it's really when he's under pressure. For the entire season, now you see the 10 interceptions, two today, but that minus 14.7. So what that means is when they average this out, quarterbacks in all these same situations while facing pressure, Dak Prescott is completing 14.7% fewer passes than what the baseline average would be. So he's clearly underperforming versus the pressure, and the two picks today have been huge. That's not a trump play, but it is a first down. It'll stop the clock at 27 seconds. No, they're going to wind the clock. Yeah, you have to be going forwards if you're contacted going out of bounds. you got to fight through that contact. They're going to run the play instead of spiking it. Prescott being chased. In trouble. Throws into traffic incomplete with 10 seconds left. Yeah, so let's go back to the Dalton Schultz catch where they wound they wound the clock. When you go out of bounds, you have to be going forwards if you are contacted by the defender. So you see how Dalton Schultz is kind of running sideways? Traverius Ward, he knows the rule. They coach that. You've got to turn up, be physical into contact, and get that official to stop the clock. Do you think he's head bobbing right now? Oh, you, you think know he's got his... I heard him talking to, to Burkhardt about, hey, listen, if I get my thing going on at halftime of the Super Bowl, you may be calling at least the second half kickoff by yourself. Yeah. Because he'd still be... Still into Rihanna? Dancing and doing what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait for the halftime show at the Super Bowl, Greg, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what. Uh, when I found out Rihanna was calling the game, I think I think you're right. I think the on camera to start the second half is definitely uh, in jeopardy. That's for sure. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, as, as we talked to Greg Olson, a friend of the show, former Bear, had a great career with the with the Panthers, um, and has really, really become one of the best broadcasters out there in a short period of time. When, like, if I would have told you, Waddle, whether it was. Um, we were playing kickball at his tournament, yeah. or he was getting kicked out of Deerfield High School as he was working out. The illegal workout, yeah. The illegal workout. And I told you that Greg Olson one day would be calling a Super Bowl on Fox. Would you have believed it? Yeah, probably shirt off as the second half kicks off dancing. No, not that part of it. <laughs> but calling the game, yes. Yeah. Congratulations on all the success, Greg, and thanks for joining us again. I appreciate it. my shirt will be on. I just want to be clear. Okay. All right. I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say I'm in like peak uh, peak physical like beach <laughs> shape right now. It's been a long it's been a long season on the road, but uh, yeah. So shirt will be on. That's a guarantee. Cannot guarantee I'll be on camera. That's that's still up in the air. You know, I, I mean, I, it's I'm not trying to embarrass you, but we spend you know pretty much every Monday or some Mondays talking about how you how well of a job you do on a consistent basis. Have you noticed, like, I know you always were good at this from a very, but can you feel yourself getting better? It's almost like when you were playing and you knew you had your, your A game. Can you feel the growth as a broadcaster as well? Yeah, and, and I've been really, you know, pretty pretty upfront and honest, you know, as I've talked about this just since I started doing it, you know, a little over a year ago. And, 
you know, the reality is every week when I step into the booth, there's something new that happens every week. That's the first time I really ever experienced it. I and mean, we have our production meetings and, and our team does a great job trying to anticipate different things that can happen throughout the course of a broadcast, whether it's communication issues or technical issues or, you know, learning now in and out of the breaks, just different, you know, processes and, and different the cadence of every broadcast being so different. Every week I get another one under my belt. I just feel more and more comfortable, right? I feel more and more comfortable that if things go sideways and I lose a monitor or I lose my telestrator, which has happened a couple times, and it doesn't, it doesn't throw me off, you know, like it used to because it's no longer the first time things are happening. And, and I think now as these games have gotten better, these games have gotten more interesting, there's so much cool stuff to talk about. And that's the stuff I love diving into, the strategy, the, the thought process in the huddle, the thought process communication from the sidelines and understanding the rules and game management like to me that's the fascinating aspect of the game it's also the the complicated aspect of the game that i think when you can walk people through some of those scenarios and watch them you know they can experience it in real time with a little more clarity on exactly what's going on i think people enjoy it and that's what we've tried to make our broadcast since we started kevin and i and um I think people are, you know, starting to come around and starting to appreciate it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, and they should. Um, what was the story that you told? I was trying to tell the guys, and I know you and uh, George Kittle go back a long way and tight end you and everything like that. What, what, what did he do to your pants or something like this when, when he greeted you in San Francisco? Yeah, so George, last year it started, George has this routine where he tries to, like, sneak up on me and, like, wrestle me. And I'm in like a full suit. He's in a t-shirt and shorts and cleats. So I have like my I have my eyes out that I know he's going to try to like sneak attack me. Last year we had a Thursday night game in in Tennessee, and he about took me back over like the you know the kicking bag that's like behind the the net, which has like a million balls, like that big heavy canvas bag. He almost took me like head over heels back over the bag. So now I'm on like alert. Well, I go up face to face, say what's up to him. We obviously were close and, and good buddies. And I think he's just coming over to say what's up and give me a hug. I had my hands in my, like, overcoat. I had, like, a winter, like, overcoat jacket on with my hands in my pocket. Well, he puts his hands under like he's doing, like, a double takedown wrestling move. And he, like, picks me up off the ground and pops all the buttons off the front. My button was jacket. My jacket was buttoned. And he, like, popped all the buttons off. I was like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) so it's just George. And he's he's the best, man. He's become a good friend. And, uh. Yeah, Kevin shared that on on air of why uh, I got to get my jacket fixed yeah. now because George Kittle decided to wrestle me in pregame and pop the buttons. <laughs> As someone that I think probably appreciates a great game plan and a, and a great you know play caller, when you get an opportunity to watch what the 49, 49ers are doing, can you differentiate them from other teams in the league? I guess the easy answer is yes, but how do you differentiate them from others? Yeah, I mean, it, obviously it all starts with they have a lot of really good players, right? So let's just take that aspect aside. That's the, the obvious point to anyone watching. You know, when, when Brandon Ayuk, a 1,000-yard receiver, is probably your fourth option on offense, you're pretty, you know you're pretty talented. So aside from that, the, the style in which Shanahan has built this offense is really interesting because, you know, the reality is across the league, every single team is, I, I like to call it, you're like mining explosives, right? You're trying to create positive situations down in distances, score, field position, where you can either generate explosive plays easier in the pass game, and then obviously there's opportunities in the run game. But you want to generate 15, 20-yard-plus plays. The, the common you know, notion is, all right, well, you've got to throw the ball far down the field. And, the, and what 
Shanahan is able to build with his really innovative play style, which creates a ton of space, stretches the entire field horizontally and vertically. It puts so much space between defenders that now when he gets Debo and Christian the ball, he doesn't have to drop back there and hold the ball for three-plus seconds while these deep routes you know, develop. He can get the ball out of their hand fast, which helps negate the pass rush. And then all this yards run after catch between you know Kittle and Debo and McCaffrey. So it's this combination of he has great skill players who are fantastic with the ball, but he's also created this really difficult offense, offense for defenses to align to with all the pre-snap motion and shifts and the various personnel groupings that he can build different formations. So now it's short throw, long run. And that it's very different. You know, they're at the bottom of the league as far as like air yards, you know, balls, the distance the ball travels between its thrown and actually caught by a receiver. They're at the bottom. They're a bottom five team in the league. But as far as generating explosive plays, they're at or near the top. And I think that's a really different way of going about it. But again, it's a combination of a great elite level scheme and very talented ball carriers at the skill position. So he's, he's very smart on how he's built it. And it's a huge challenge for defenses. Greg Olson joining us, former Bear. Of course, now with Fox, he's calling the NFC Championship this weekend. Do you get a chance to check in with Robbie still? And are you surprised that his consecutive field goal streak in the postseason is up to 28 straight? No, I think for any of us who are around Robbie, I mean, granted, it was a long time ago. Um, I don't think any of this surprises us. Just his approach, his consistency, it all starts with his mentality. He's so even keel doesn't get up and down, doesn't ride the emotions as you know we saw unfold the last couple of weeks at that kicker position. Brett Maher, one of the best kickers in the league, all of a sudden you, you, get, a, you get a miss or two and it, and it creeps into your psyche. Robbie has done such a good job for what seems like 100 years now just from his approach and his mentality. It's just perfect for the kicker position. And, yeah, I've gotten to see Robbie before every game. We've probably called – that was probably our – I think it was our fourth 49er game of the year. So I've had a chance before each game to catch up with him and, and whatnot. We've stayed in touch loosely over the years since we played together. But, you know, I can't be happy happier for Robbie. I mean, I think he's 40 years old now. Um, <laughs> it seems like when I first got drafted, he was he was a young buck, I think maybe in his first year or two. And uh, to think that he's still playing all these years later is – is pretty impressive, and I'm sure there's a lot of Bears fans that uh, wish he was still kicking for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We miss him, and he comes on with us all the time. What's the otter scene uh, on the field? Is it Jerry Jones giving his kicker a pep talk pregame, or is it Zeke getting run over at center on the last play of the game? Yeah, there was a few moments in that game that were a little odd. I mean, it started in pregame. You mentioned there was that, that video that kind of went viral. Uh, we, we were all paying very close attention down on the field to just how Maher was, was kicking and whatnot. And he had a few misses. It was very windy. Like, in fairness, it was, it was wild. It was really windy and swirling. And I was actually talking to Robbie about it before the game. He's like, oh, it's real. He's like, it's not easy kicking here. Um, so that was a factor. But then to see Jerry go out there and who knows what he said. But then, uh, then there was the whole incident where Maher was warming up and Debo Samuel wouldn't get out of the way. So then there was kind of some words exchanged between the special teams crew of, of Dallas, and then Robbie ended up coming over and trying to kind of defuse it a little bit with Trent Williams. I don't know how that was going to go. So it was, uh, it was pretty interesting to see all that. And then, as you said, that last play of the game, um, you know, that's one of those plays that it sounds good on paper. You're trying to give yourself a chance at a very low probability, obviously, of going 65 yards plus with no time left for a touchdown. And uh, I don't think they thought that, 
Zeke being run over at center. My gut is that that was supposed to be Pollard, and the idea was that they were going to throw it to Turpin, and then he was going to lateral it from to the center from that position and get out to where those linemen were on the boundary. But uh, Al Shire, the, D'Amico Ryan did a nice job. He called timeout, got his guys lined up to that funky formation, and uh, he told them just run the center over, and it kind of put an end to the play pretty quickly. Yeah, I did not. I got to be honest. I did not expect the six yard hitch routes to be the end of the end of the game. I don't know how you felt yeah. in the booth, but I did. It was, I was like, getting, wow. it was just trying to get the play started. Yeah. Like, get it out to Turpin, and then it was going to be a lateral. You could see them building, like, different layers out on the boundaries where they had the offensive linemen kind of scattered. So the idea was just get the ball out of Dak's hand and then start the the pitch, start the lateral process that we've seen play over time. But, um, yeah, obviously it it was a lot better. It was was really weird. I I know you're impartial, Greg, but, like, was there part of you that was nervous or, I don't know, compassionate for for Maher? Are you just like, hey – Sink or swim, buddy. No, I think anybody, again, it wasn't so much that I was worried about the outcome of the game for, like, the Cowboys as much as it just was. Like, I don't think anyone enjoys watching someone else struggle in front of the world. I mean, watching that Monday night game against Tampa, I think anyone that has any sort of heart, anybody that has any sort of, you know, decency just said, hey, whether you're a fan of the – Bucks or the Dallas or not, just to watch a guy just really struggle, especially a guy who's so good. I mean, he's one of the top kickers in the league um, over the course of the entire season. So it's just, I think it just also goes to show just how difficult, highly competitive sports is. And I think sometimes you lose track and just think, yeah, everybody should make every shot, every free throw. You should never drop a fly ball at shortstop. You should never miss an extra point. And then all of a sudden you see the best in the world um, have their struggles. And, uh, it's very eye-opening. But, no, in that game, I'll tell you what I, was, what I thought was going to happen is if Dak was able to bring them down and tie that game up, um, were they going to go for two and try yeah. to win it? Or are they going to line up? If they lined up for an extra point to try to send that thing to overtime, I, I think everyone in the world, you almost had to be rooting for the kid. Yeah. right? I, I, whether you wanted them to win it overtime or not, I, just, I, I struggle watching people struggle. I don't yeah. love it. I know what it's like to not have your best that day and uh, – I don't wish that on anybody. Did they finally figure out Brock Purdy and and going into the NFC title game in Philadelphia? That's the best pass rush in the league, or it looks that way. Did he finally show some signs that, hey, this is a rookie that really hasn't played but, what, eight or nine games? Yeah, I think, you know, the challenge that, that Brock is facing, I think he's exceeded all expectations, clearly. Um, you know, I haven't lost since he's come in, has his team in the championship game. But as every level, as every round goes on, you're going to play progressively better and better teams. And and you know, last week we said before the game in our open that this Dallas defense was probably the best defense overall San Francisco has played all season, regular or you know regular season or playoffs. And then we're going to say the exact same thing now against Philly. I mean, this defensive line is every bit as good as Dallas, if not better metrically. They have really good players. They have two really good corners. They get Gardner Johnson back at safety. He didn't play the last time. You know, the last time we saw them on Christmas Eve. So they, they've got a really talented group. Their offense is going to, you know, that San Francisco defense is really good. We saw them pretty much stifle Dallas. If they can do the same thing to Philly, I think I'd be surprised. I think that Philly offense is really, really multiple and really hard to stop. So I think San Francisco has to go into this game saying, we're going to have to score 25 or more to win this game. I don't know if they're going to be able to go in and score in the teens and feel like that's going to be enough to beat Philly. So to your point, I think Brock's going to have to carry the load. He's done a lot of it, though, throughout the course of the year. And 
the advantage he's always going to have is he has an elite play caller and game design, you know, game designer and, 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 you know, game plan maker, but then he's also surrounded by really talented guys. So he doesn't have to carry the burden entirely by himself, but um, there's going to be times in the game where he's going to have to make big third down throws. He's going to have to make tight window, red zone throws. Can't settle for field goals. They're going to have to punch it in. And, uh, I can't. I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I think yeah. this is this is as good a matchup as we could hope for in the NFC. Greg Olson join, uh, joins us right now. He's got the call of the NFC Championship game this weekend. For selfish purposes, Greg, we're watching Jalen Hurts, and we're hoping that Justin Fields can turn into him. Where um, and and coming out of college, Justin Fields was a better prospect. But and I know you didn't get a lot of Justin Fields this year. But do you believe that he can take the step that Jalen Hurts took this offseason and become the better all-around quarterback? Yeah, I mean, whether he becomes better than Jalen or not, I think it's hard to say when you're comparing him against a guy who's arguably in the conversation to be the MVP. I think from a skill set and a talent standpoint, I think the answer is yes. I, I think the reality is, and I don't think this is going to be mind-blowing to any of you who follow the league so closely or whatnot, the reality is the situation that Jalen walked into, even though they had that tough year where they got rid of Doug Peterson and obviously made the coaching change to bring in Sirianni last year, the talent and the team that he walked into is is just vastly different than the team that, that Justin inherited in Chicago. As far as, I mean, you can just look on the offensive side of the ball, weapons-wise. I mean, they, they draft Devontae Smith, you know, first-round wide receiver. They have arguably the best offensive line in the league, one of the top, you know, five or so tight ends in the league, and Goddard. And then they go ahead and they make a big trade during the draft and they go out and they acquire A.J. Brown. They, they'd want to continue to surround their young quarterback with really good players. He has an offensive-minded head coach and a really you know, great offensive coordinator in Shane Steichen who is up for almost every single head coaching job. So when you just look at the system around him, and this isn't to say Jalen's not a fantastic player. He is. But a big part of young quarterbacks developing is, yes, they have to have some innate capabilities and skill sets and demeanor and attitude. All that's true. But they're also it's a lot easier when everyone around you is pretty good and the you know in your offensive line and skilled players. I mean they got half you know half dozen offensive Pro Bowl players around him, so it it makes a big difference. And uh, you know he's obviously could potentially be the MVP of the league. And right now Justin's just not surrounded by that level of talent, and they have to continue to find a way to surround him and build that team to reflect what he does best. That's that's what I think Philly's done so well. They run the offense suit Jalen and his skills and his approach and it was like what we did in Carolina with Cam like we we ran an offense that was suited for our quarterback and he had tremendous success I think we saw the Bears do that more this year than they did last year which I thought was great and now it's just a matter of continuing to surround him with other players to take some of the pressure off as a former tight end you're the perfect person to ask about Cole Komet did you see progress and how much how much of an impact do you think he can make on this offense going forward I thought he had a really good year. Like you said, I, I saw a lot of their game like in highlights and some crossover matchups when we were, you know, maybe the team that they played the previous week, we were getting ready to call. So, of course, I would always watch the Bears and watch Cole. I've gotten to know him a little bit um, and, and gotten to know you know through TEU and some of the stuff coming out of school. But I thought he had a really good year, kind of showed he can be a red zone guy, strong run after catch. He's a big physical guy. I don't know if he's ever going to run by anybody and just be like a blazer and a – you know, a crazy vertical guy. But I think when you're talking about the way they're going to have to build this offense with Justin and play to his strengths and utilize the quarterback, you know, movement stuff and the design runs, 
the tight end is at the centerpiece of that style of offense. I mean, if you look at every, you know, quote unquote, dual threat quarterback or run, you know, run heavy quarterback, you know, you look at Lamar in Baltimore with Mark Andrews, you look at Jalen Hurts right now with Goddard. I mean, Cam, when we had Cam and what I was able to do, like the tight end in that style offense, if done right, can be highly effective. So I'm happy for Cole. I thought he had a really good uh, year this year. I think he showed that he's a guy they can continue to build around and continue to develop. And, um, you know, again, in the right system with the yeah. right pieces around him and used to his strengths, I think he's shown he can be a highly effective player. I think it's such a great point because we always think, and you made a great point about the quarterback, you've got to put him in a system that, that, that you know, is tailored to his skill set. The same can be said for other positions. And he had a really good year, Greg, as a red zone, as you said, tight end, an inline tight end. Will he ever be George Kittle? No, I mean, he's not going to be one of those guys that affects the middle of the field the way that some of these guys do. But he can still play a huge role in this offense going forward. Yeah, not every player, and, and it's such a good point you make. Everyone wants to compare everyone to their, you know, to their colleagues, to their you know, similar position groups and whatnot, and I get it. But not every tight end has to play like Travis Kelsey does. Travis Kelsey is the ideal tight end uh, for a lot of reasons because he's really good. But, like, the style in which the offense he's operating in is the perfect match for the style in which Travis plays, and that's why he's going to go down in history as one of the best guys and one of the most productive guys. It's an unbelievable match. You can say the same thing about George Kittle. His skill set and what he does is ideal for this Kyle Shanahan offense. He's a very aggressive run blocker. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's aggressive and strong. He's great in play action. He can get down the field. He can run after catch, which we talked earlier, is such a big component of their scheme. He's a perfect fit. I mean, if you flip those two guys, they're still incredible players. They're still Pro Bowl caliber players. Is it the perfect match that they are right now? I don't know. It's hard It's hard to say. But so to your point, like, yes, the more you play all of your players, whether it's your quarterback, your tight end, whoever – the idea of coaching is to not say, okay, this is my system. You need to come in. The best coach is say, okay, what do you do really well? Okay, I'm going to highlight that. What do you not do really well? Okay, it's my job as a coach to either make you improve in that area or through my design, through my game plan, through my scheme, I could take some pressure off and protect you from some of your, you know, some of your limitations all while highlighting what you do best. And not every guy's perfect. Not every guy does everything right, but you got to get the most out of your players, and that's the sign of great coaching. And when you look around the league, that's what the, the teams that are left, the teams that have guys that are excelling, that's, that's the name of the game. And uh, yeah. I think sometimes coaches lose sight of that. Really good stuff. Awesome. Finally, how do we keep you in the number one booth? I mean, do we have to send, like, uh, Twitter people after the, the, the Fox people that say, hey, leave Olsen <laughs> in the number one booth and, and, and have Brady go in the number four booth? Do we have to go after Brady? What do we have to do to keep Greg Olson do in the number one? we have to go one? after Brady? Yes. What do we have to yeah, do? I'll tell you. I, I think it's pretty – I don't know if Brady's going to be in the number four booth. I think we uh, – I think we – listen, we, we all know the reality. I know what I signed up for this year. My goal, and I said this before the season even started, my goal was to try to do the best job that I could, give people a fun listen, give people maybe a little bit of a different perspective and insight into the game, do the best job that I can, and – Listen, if Brady ends up retiring and coming and decides and that's how everything unfolds, it sucks. It's not, you know, I'm not, you know, it is. But at the end of the day, I'm a big boy. I know what I signed up for. And, uh, you know, I took a chance on myself and rolled the dice. and We'll see how it plays out. I'm looking forward to calling this game this weekend. Hopefully 
people enjoyed as much as they have these last couple games. And then obviously culminates in a few weeks in the Super Bowl. So I'm going to enjoy these last couple weeks. They've been busy, but they've been a blast. And then whatever happens in the offseason, I, listen, I hope Brady signs a five-year deal with somebody. I'll be the first guy there. I'll give him some cap room uh, to make it work. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. Always you, a team player. You, you played in a Super Bowl. Do you believe as, as a broadcaster you'll be more nervous to broadcast the Super Bowl, or will it feel like just another game? You know, I, I would love to sit here and give you that cliche. You know, it's just another game, and, you know, every game's the same, but we all know that that's not true, um, even when people say it. So, yeah, I think before the game, the key is, just like when you're a player, is to just control your emotions, control your excitement, control your nerves. Once the game does settle in and you get past, like my goal of every broadcast, like the hardest thing for me is like to get through the first possession of each team. Like once each team has the ball and you kind of do the walkout of the quarterback and here's the starting lineups and, you know, you get through all like the check the box of like easing everyone into the bar cast. And like, okay, all right, it's the end of the first quarter. Everyone's sitting in their couch now ready to go. Like, let's talk ball. That's when the game becomes easy. That's the fun part for me. So I have to continue to remind myself early in the games, just relax. I know you have a lot to say. You have three hours to get it in. You don't that's have to great. say it right now. And I think Super Bowl, that's going to be every bit the same, if not even more. Just continue to remind yourself, hey, ease into the game. And once it settles in, it's just a game. But leading up to it, there's nothing like the Super Bowl. Your brother's in the booth with you as a spotter, right, Craig? Is any been yeah. there with you? Yeah. A, how cool is that? B, how many mistakes has he made this year? <laughs> It, it's been really cool. You know, he's a he's a football coach here. Um, coaches out of high school here. He's a teacher and a football coach here um, in in Charlotte, in North Carolina. So he's been doing this with me the last two years. He's he's been with me since I started. And you know, what's cool for him is, you know, again, he's learning the TV world of football. You know, just like I am. And you know, we've all come a long way since that first game we sat in the booth last year. We didn't even know what buttons to push. But you know, for him, you know, the thing, the reason that he comes along with me is. He, he knows football. I know when he tells me coverages or he tells me personnel groupings and he tells me they brought the nickel off the slot or he, you know, he just feeds me different reminders. Like you trust played him. it his whole life, coached it, you know, been around it. Yeah. Like I get, he knows when I, when he tells me something like I'm pretty, I know I can be confident that what he tells me is real and he speaks the same language. I know, I know what he means. And it's been fun. He's a young kid. He's in his late twenties. For him to come on the road and be around football and be in these meetings and all this, it's a blast. So it's been, awesome. it's been really cool. It's been a great opportunity for him. And uh, listen, he's made mistakes. I've made mistakes. <laughs> We've all made mistakes. But uh, we're learning every week, and it's super, uh, it's super fun to just enjoy it all together as a crew. So cool. well, you've been, you've been great, Greg, and and we're really proud of you as a player, as as a person off the field, as a father, and now as a broadcaster. You do it all. We appreciate your time today. All the best in the NFC Championship game, and we can't wait to yep. watch you in the Super Bowl. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate you guys. You guys are the best, man. I love coming on, and uh, we'll talk soon. You got it. There's Greg Olson. This is where the the pros go, right here. This is where our guys, Mike Tirico last week, Greg Olson this week, Al Michaels when he comes to town. These are our guys right there. And uh, Greg Olson is just uh, what a a guy he is. And and we're proud to call him a friend of the show for for many, many years. Such a great job in the booth. Yeah, and I hope the Fox people understand how good he's got. And and that he stays in that number one booth. Yeah. I know Brady's the name 
Um, and maybe they'll put them both together. But uh, he deserves to stay there. All right, Waddle's World coming up next. This is Waddle's World. And in Chicago, Tom Waddle. He can't run, he's not fast, but he gets open. Bears legend. Amazing. Nine career TDs in the NFL. He caught everything that was thrown and took every hit that they could give him. Tom Waddle. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Welcome to Waddle's World. Come inside. Let's get weird. 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 You want to get weird? That's kind always. of a weird question to ask. Yeah, I always like to get a little weird. You do too, don't you? Of course. Of course I do. Uh, by the way, Waddle's World brought to you by our great friends and partners at Wintrust Community Banks. They are Chicago's banks. Find your nearest Wintrust Community Bank. Visit Wintrust.com slash find us. Member FDIC. I second what you were saying earlier before the break. Look, I really enjoy You get into this business in, in, because you like to have conversations with people that entertain you and that you enjoy. And I, I mean, like, I like... I like our conversations with Greg. I like our conversations with Mike Tirico. Yeah. I like our conversations with pretty much everyone that we have on. Well, like you said, willing participant. Yes. That's always been that's, like your litmus test. Yes. Well, that's just for starters. If you don't want to talk to us, well, then it we ain't going to work. Right. We're not putting guys on who right. don't want to be with us. I just think like, and the guys that, that make it this job fun for me is guys that educate you on different things. Like, Tariqa will always do that. Like, Greg Olson, you know, kind of lets you know. Like, for the average fan, like I'm a, I am a, I'm a 49er sycophant in a lot of ways. Like, I, I don't get giggly about a lot of sports stuff, but watching them function offensively makes, it, it titillates me, right. for lack of a better term. Okay. It just does. When he explains to you, how they actually affect a defense, not by pushing the ball downfield, but by getting the ball in the hands of guys who are then equipped to be great run after the catch. It has not ex- the exact same effect, but it has a comparable effect when it comes to big plays. So he's stretching a defense, not necessarily with deep passes down the field, but getting the ball into hands of guys who are as good as they are run after catch, which hopefully at some point becomes has a similar effect like that's the type of stuff that i think if you're a football fan you have to enjoy hearing if you're interested in it if you just you know i mean if you're not interested and you just like it's cool and you like to gamble that's fine too but if you like to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of the game he likes to talk that's the stuff he likes that's the stuff yes like i sit and talk to my television every game i I don't do that. that with basketball I don't do that with baseball. You weren't doing that for Bulls and Hawks yesterday? I was not, no. Well, I was enamored with the 17-point first quarter that they put up. They, it, you know what? It was, you would have thought it, it was... It was entertaining it, last three quarters. It was, it was. It was a hard watch for the first quarter. It was a hard watch. Usually I think it ended up being 21-17, was it? I, I let the game come to me. Okay. I, I'm not a first... I like Usually that's when I walk, and especially uh, I, I'm at dinner time, I'm with the kids... It's background noise for me. I get it. And then I settle in. I hear a lot of yelling with Stacy and Adam. Oh, yeah. You would have thought it was game seven of the Eastern Conference well, Finals in the first that's, quarter. That's the way that's Adam what, brings it. Exactly. I get it. And now they got an early game tonight in Indiana. Pacers tonight. Pacers play hard. They do. I don't know how to play this game. Speaking of the gambling that you were talking about, 
I don't. The the Pacers are a two point dog. I had the Bulls and Demar over twenty four and a half. Do you? This is a game that. Oh, last night I did. This is where I'm confused. Tonight may be a night where I say the second of a back-to-back against the Pacers team, I may play the Pacers Six weeks ago, this would be a game for sure that I would have played the Pacers. Yeah. Pacers on the money line, they're like plus 120, 110. But... You got the magic. You got some magic. Some Bulls magic. But the Bulls have been playing better. Will the Bulls go... I don't know. I think I'm going to stay away from this. Well, if you are going to bet it, you're going to have to bet it before we get off the show because I believe the, they tip at six. Is that yeah, correct? It should be an early. I don't. I didn't see what the what's the tip, uh, Tyler. Six ten. Six ten. Okay. Maybe a so. Pacers first quarter. I don't know. I'm. Not, I don't feel. No, feel Although like, here's the thing about the back to back with the Bulls too. They just had that four day lay. What was it? Four day layoff. Yeah. Coming yeah, back yeah. from Paris too. Yeah. So that's probably why they got off to a rusty start. Yeah. They were walking around Paris. They got the win. They've been off for a little bit, a little jet lag. Or they were just missing shots as they're prone to do at times. Sure, that too. Hey, uh, the the NFC title game, you got the Eagles and the uh, 49ers. Philly's an interesting place, isn't it, wouldn't you say? Oh, yes. Yeah. Been there once. Philadelphia's an interesting place. For Bears and Eagles, when Donovan McNabb was their quarterback, it covered a Bears Eagles game. Philadelphia is so desperate for lifeguards that it's recruiting people who can't swim. Well, that that seems counter. Desperate for lifeguards. Philly says it's okay if interested candidates can't swim. Maybe the middle of winter now, but before you know it, Memorial Day will be here. The kids will get out of school and they'll need something to do all day other than to get on your nerves. That's where Philadelphia's dozens of public pools come in. And what do you need if you have a public pool? Lifeguards, of course. And thanks to COVID and budget cuts, they uh, didn't have public pools at all in 2020. Philadelphia opened some of its city pools in 2021, but had problems recruiting lifeguards. And the city encountered similar issues last year. So for the 2023 pool season in Philadelphia, the city has started recruiting early. And if you can't swim, no problem. You can still apply. Why? Are they going to teach you to swim before the summer? According to representatives of the city's Parks and Recreation Department, the city is actively recruiting lifeguard candidates who would sink like a stone if you threw them in the deep end. Today, the city will provide free swimming lessons to anybody who doesn't know how to swim, assuming they are committed to testing into the lifeguard program this summer. Nothing inspires confidence of a young parent more than watching your kid jump into a pool with a lifeguard who couldn't swim three weeks early. Well, look, it, it's killing two birds with one stone. Literally. I, I shouldn't use the word kill when we're talking about a lifeguard, but you are learning how to swim and you're getting a job. So you still have to pass the lifeguard training program. How rigorous do you think that is? I would hope it's oh, rigorous. it's a pain in the ass. I had some friends that were lifeguards. You which have to means, do CPR. Means, th- think you have about to learn CPR. Th- CPR. Think about it. If you don't know how to swim, you're not going to be able to pick that art up and then become a strong swimmer where you could be a lifeguard and just lickety split. But there were, even when they were lifeguards, I forget what the exact term of the day was, but they had like Tuesdays at like 7 or 8 o'clock, the pool would close a little bit early, and you the lifeguards had to stay after and like, recertify their training sure, almost like yeah. once a month yeah. and it was a, a day of hell for them they well, hated well, it are you a strong swimmer waddle oh yeah i can swim i swim my ass off oh yeah yeah swim your ass off i can't I like that. yeah 
Except for when I was caught in the riptide in well, the Dominican this past that's tough for any, uh, any, March, any. and I believe I, I further. I don't think I've ever mo- felt more like I was going to die than then. That, that that's dangerous for I anybody. Thought I was Even the die. strongest swimmers. Yeah. I should not have been where I was. I'd had a couple of cocktails. Thank goodness that there was somebody on board the boat. Two people that were able to uh, calm the situation and. Uh, it's a shock that you had a couple cocktails. I was not in harm's way because of the cocktails. I was in harm's way because we boated through a storm and then got into the water and got caught in a riptide. Yeah, the riptides are no joke. They are not a joke. I'm just saying. And I had a, I had like a little noodle, too. One of those things you float with. Yeah. And that, too. And one of those things and, you float with. And your wine with. belly, too. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that doesn't help you these days. Oh, yeah, it does. It keeps you, it keeps you floating. It, it's very buoyant. <laughs> By the way, Chris Stapleton is going to sing uh, during the Super Bowl pregame along with Babyface. And Cheryl Lee Ralph. Is it me or has Chris Stapleton done some Super Bowl stuff already? Didn't he, like, help on one of the halftime shows? I think that may be the case. Chris Stapleton's your guy, one of your favorite performers, yes? Yes. I'm not sure what his, what his whether or not he's played Super Bowls before, though. That's not something I keep track of, to be honest with you. Um, Bill's uh, quarterback, Josh Allen, needs some rest and recovery as he, uh, you know, they see what's wrong with his elbow. And Stephon Diggs says, uh, you know, hey, you want me to be okay with our level of play when it's not up to the standard? Huh? It's easy to criticize my reaction more than the result. I want to talk about that. I want to read you all, all those because a lot of people were saying it's easy for Tom Brady week in and week out to yell at his line, yell at his receivers, throw the iPad, not shake hands after games when he loses. And everyone's like, he's the GOAT, he's the GOAT, he's the GOAT. And then, you know, Stefan Diggs had one bad ending, and everyone's talking about him. I think Tom Brady has shown very little good sportsmanship whenever he loses and he walks off the field and doesn't shake the opposing quarterback's hand. And I think we've pointed that out quite a bit. I just don't think in the moment that was helping anybody's cause. And I don't know why Stefan Diggs was... Like, he was leaving the locker room before, like, the team had all gathered in there. I think both can be wrong. Both guys can be wrong. All right. When we come back, I got a story for you about Taylor Swift and a a hat. Why uh, chip bags are only half full. Oh, yeah. A lot of air in there. And then uh, don't forget Barstool Big Cat at at, uh, 4 o'clock. A lot of air there, too. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. Listen now on ESPN 1000. This is Waddle and Sylvie, ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. To be honest with you, I'm a little surprised you're at work today. Why? What should I be upset about? The Senate Judiciary Committee holds its much-anticipated hearing into Live Nation and the lack of competition into the ticket industry today. And while lawmakers grill entertainment executives and antitrust experts, some of Ticketmaster's most vocal critics will be protesting just steps away on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. Yes, I'm talking about Taylor Swift fans. Mm. We, You know, we've got a plan for this. We, well, my wife and I have uh, discussed the plan. 
We may look to go uh, to a different city to see Taylor this summer. That's not a bad idea. I know get she's in the coming car, to Soldier. Get in the plane it's, it's a tough ticket. Get on a plane and go to Nashville. I think it's a tough ticket everywhere. It is yeah. going to be a tough ticket everywhere. I know this. I know this. No, and we'll just get on a plane, go to Nashville, and just buy some tickets outside the stadium. Nashville will be a tough place to see her, too. I think anywhere is a tough but place. But we're going to make it an adventure at the very That's least. That's cool. That's I, cool. I, yes. I think it's but I do idea. think it's, yeah, it could be, you're going to have to pull some strings or it's going to be it's, it's going to be a big summer for concerts. I know we want to see Ed Sheeran as well. You know, Madonna's going on on tour. Have you seen the price of her tickets? No, and nor do I feel compelled to purchase one. I don't know if I'd recognize her either. Have you seen what she looks like recently on uh, Instagram? I've not. No, the Material Girl. Uh, that was thirty years ago, wasn't it? I'm a big Madonna 40, fan. Forty, of, of her 40 music, years ago. Yeah. Right, you're talking mid-80s for the most part. You think she Girl could up? still belt it out? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, she's a performer. She's talented. She's 60-something, right? I know, but how many? But Mick Jagger's 80 what? Paul McCartney's what? Uh, all these other... I uh, know, but I'm thinking that... What? I'm thinking that Mick Jagger inspires a different feeling from you than Madonna. She's 64. Just could still perform. I do wonder... I what kind of life? What will like, she be wearing? Hmm? I mean, some, what do you want? I would imagine wear? something provocative. She's At sixty-four, still in, she's in phenomenal shape. I do wonder what kind of life you know. She's got to be leading the Tom Brady lifestyle, right? Like to perform the way she does at that age in bed. You think but, she's eating pistachio ice I don't know. cream? You think she's performing? And I don't know. In the physical, I got to be honest with you. I have completely been off the Madonna trail for some time. I just uh, stumbled upon her on Instagram about three months ago. You probably didn't recognize her, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'll show you during the break. Oh, I can't wait. By the way, uh, as I was telling you earlier, uh, experts reveal the reason why chip bags are only half full. Quite disappointing, isn't it, at times when you open up a bag of chips when you will actually splurge and allow yourself to have one, and then you figure out there's only a couple of chips in there? But they do it by weight. The empty part of the bag of chips actually keeps the products from going stale too quickly and from the damage of the fragile chips, according to the U.K.'s Snack Nut and Crisp Manufacturers Association. There's an association for this? Yeah. The Snack Nut and Crisp Manufacturers Association. In uh, 2017, a study uh, that was done found that the average bag of chips is 72% empty, leaving just over a quarter of the bag for chips. And it turns out that empty space in your chip bag isn't just air. It's nitrogen gas, which is meant to stop the chips from breaking in the package as well as expel air, which actually turns the chips stale. How do you feel about that? Okay. Makes sense. Does it? Again, it's by weight. I uh, I would like more in the bag, too. I just decided to give you that story as opposed to the one that's titled Four Men Toss Deer Urine on a Woman at Walmart in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Just figured that it was probably a better move. That, that's Especially because I know does... Braxton's in the car, too, yeah. listening right now. Yeah. There's no reason to encourage a young kid to throw deer urine on anything or anybody. Yeah, don't do that, Braxton. He got all stars today at school. All right. We gave him a hip-hip parade during the commercial break. So good job, Braxton. Right, uh, Is he pulling the D's nuts uh, joke I on anybody not. at school? I, he better not be doing that at school. Don't encourage him. Doing hip, the wheelbarrow? That's a, that's hip, a, hip, D's. The what? The, the, doing the wheelbarrow. Walking around. Because he's, yeah, they're so big. 
You guys stop it. We're going to talk to Barstool Big Cat. Can't miss radio coming up next.